Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is December the 2nd, 2022. Uh, we're in the home stretch of uh, this year. Uh, Hanukkah coming up, Christmas coming up. We've just had Thanksgiving, and I hope for all of you it was a good Thanksgiving, uh, that you had the opportunity to get together with friends, family, uh, share a meal, uh, and share the company of the people who are important to you. Because at the end of the day, that's what's really the most important. It's not how big the bank book is. Uh, it's life experiences, relationships. Um, that's really what a life experience should be about. Uh, we've really gotten things screwed up. It, it seems as though uh, no matter how you get the money, if you're wealthy somehow, that makes you a success. Uh, and I don't think anything could be further from the truth. There are so many hardworking people. They live in modest houses, apartments, but they, they're good friends and they're good parents and they take care of their spouses and they're valued members of the communities. And that's really what this should be about. This is what we should aspire to as human beings, to try to be good stewards of our world, of our country, so that people look upon what we've done, not by how much wealth we've acquired, but how much good we've accomplished how much good we've accomplished. Um, and boy, oh boy, uh, when I look at our supposed leaders, both parties, you look at corporate America, uh, watching this insanity with Apple, uh, which is really acting on behalf of the communist regime in China, my gosh, it, it takes my breath away. It takes my breath away. We've become a society that apparently knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. And... Over the past couple of weeks, in talking with some of my former colleagues, we had a reunion a couple of weeks ago, wouldn't miss it for the world. People come in from literally all over the country to get together. These are the men and women that I worked with at the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. Uh, they're really like family, um, big hugs, and we're all excited to talk about our families and our experiences and what we've been doing and a uh, great opportunity to get together with people who, in, in Mike Cutler's world, are really important, people for whom I have tremendous respect and, and tremendous affection. And so as I was thinking about the reunion and the inevitable war stories, you remember the day when, and some of the stories were very funny, some of them heartbreaking, um, you know, the human dynamic. It made me think about how, perceptions about immigration have morphed under the guidance of a bunch of crooked politicians. Forgive the redundancy when I say crooked politicians. Uh, it's outrageous. Immigration laws should be non-controversial, okay, non-controversial. The purpose for our immigration laws, if you actually read the law, not the nonsense published by the propagandists who pass themselves off or try to pass themselves off as journalists. 
not by the politicians who've been bought and paid for by corporate America and various special interest groups that see America's borders not for what it is, our first and last line of defense, but see it as an impediment to their wealth. Okay? Our immigration laws, first and foremost, the current laws, were enacted to protect public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of American workers, period. Full stop. And if you think I'm getting it wrong, go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. Let me repeat it. Jot it down or go to my articles at front page because I almost always try to work a link into my articles back to a couple of sections of law, and this one is really prominent in my articles because there's no disputing what laws we are trying to enforce and with what purpose. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. It enumerates the categories of aliens who are not to be admitted into the United States. There's nothing in there about race or religion or ethnicity. And I'm going to tell you right up front, if that's what the laws were about, I could not have enforced them for 30 seconds, let alone the 30 years uh, that was my career that began back in 1971. So I have a very unique perspective with lots of institutional memory. Because here we are more than 50 years later. And immigration and the concept of law enforcement has been turned on its head. And the American people have been coerced into believing stupidity. I don't know any other way of saying it. The whole point to the immigration laws is to keep people out who pose the threat to our safety or pose the threat to American jobs. And go back to the administration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat or you belong to the Hopping Kangaroo Party. During the Depression, Roosevelt decided that immigration law enforcement was a major priority because he wanted to get Americans working. In fact, that's how the 40-hour work week came about. Don't hire people and then pay them overtime. If you need someone to work more than 40 hours, Hire somebody else. Get more people working. Common sense. So Roosevelt looked at the situation and said, you know what? We need to make certain that Americans don't lose their jobs or face wage suppression because we're forcing them to compete with foreign workers. And he was right. And I don't care about other issues. I just want to isolate this issue right here, right now. And again, I don't care about your political orientation. What in the world is wrong with a government standing up for its own citizens? We the people. When Abraham Lincoln spoke of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, what in the world do you think he was referencing? The idea was that the government should be looking out for the average citizen of this great country. That's why we have a military. Some countries refer to their military as self-defense forces. Right? We call the Defense Department to defend. Who are we defending? We're supposed to be defending the United States and most importantly, American citizens. Families are supposed to look out for family members, first and foremost. If, God forbid, there's a building fire, a school's on fire, and parents go running to the school, who do they want to rescue first, the child of a stranger or their own kids? They're going to look for their own kids. Like it or not, that's human nature. It's common sense, and it's the way you expect things to be. 
we're supposed to look out for each other as Americans first and foremost. And if that's called patriotism, great. If it's called nationalism, that's also fine. And you have the lunacy of people saying, oh, my God, nationalism led to, to Stalin and Hitler and all kinds of atrocities. Yeah, it did. But nationalism also saved our butts. Because of nationalism and patriotism, how many Americans gave up their lives in battle to defend America against the Nazis, against the uh, Axis powers? They were demonstrating toxic masculinity, if we're talking about the men. Uh, and I guess the women, well, goodness, I, they were right there. I mean, if you look at the women that fought in the war, the women pilots and so forth, Americans stood up and said, you're not going to do this to us. We're going to fight back. We will defend our country and our fellow Americans with our lives. You're seeing it in the Ukraine now. People look at the situation and say, if we lose our country, if we lose our, what, what's the point of living? Fighting for freedom. It's a noble cause, and it's why America survived the war along with our allies. It's why Nazis were defeated. The nonsense that we hear about Antifa, the anti-fascists, what a bunch of baloney. You know who the real anti-fascists were? The men and women of the armed forces of the United States and the Allies, many of whom died and many others who came home grievously wounded. They paid the ultimate price. Why? To defend freedom, to defend our way of life. And now we're told, oh, my God, nationalism, that's dangerous. No, it depends on what nation you're supporting. Our enemies certainly have no problem with nationalism, China, Russia, um, North Korea, Iran. I mean, look at what they're doing. If you want to talk about dumb, what's dumb is not recognizing the fact that although America may have issues, just like every person, people are not, flaw, uh, are not without flaws, we're humans. We're imperfect. We will never be perfect. We can strive for perfection, but perfection is not only elusive, uh, it, it doesn't exist. But my gosh. I will put this country up against any other country in history because America has always worked to do better. The founding fathers talked about it when they said in order to make a more perfect union. More perfect union meaning what? That we will continue to work every single day to make this government, this country, better than it was the day before. That's noble. That's America. And if you think that weakening America is somehow a worthwhile thing like the idiots on the, on the radical left and the woke and all these other wackaloons. You're weakening your country while our enemies are licking their chops. And believe me, they do not share any of America's values. You look at what's happened in China with people being locked in their houses from the outside, people dying in a fire because they couldn't get out of their own apartments. You look at North Korea, look at Iran. A woman was killed for not wearing her headscarf properly. Yeah, that's a good cause for capital punishment. Are you serious? If ever America needed to be unified and strong, this is the era because we face so many threats coming at us from so many directions. Give it thought. Give it thought. America is the last great hope for freedom because I assure you 
that freedom is an anathema to the dictators of China, of North Korea, of Iran. Uh, and you look at Putin and what he did, my gosh, it takes my breath away. We need to be sensible, folks. We need to understand what we have is unique, unique throughout history. There's been no other country like the United States. And immigration is designed to protect us. It's not about xenophobia. Again, I go back to what I said. If you look at the current laws, and the liars will talk about the Chinese exclusion laws of 100 years ago. Yes, there were bad laws on the books. You want me to tell you there weren't? Segregation was on the books in certain places. You want me to tell you that I can somehow defend segregation? Of course not. But this is the whole business about in order to make a more perfect union. We came to the realization of what was reasonable and what wasn't reasonable, what was moral and what was immoral. America is and always will be, if it survives, it will always be a work in progress. Always be a work in progress, as it should be. So the immigration laws were designed to keep out aliens who would take Americans' jobs or people who would come here and commit violent crime or people who would come here and had dangerous communicable diseases. We just went through this whole business with COVID. Ellis Island was a quarantine station going back to when so many immigrants came, including my own family. So this is about protecting Americans. And on a local scale, we lock our doors at night, not because we're antisocial, but we don't want somebody coming into our house while we're sleeping to do harm to us. The borders of the United States are no different from the doors on our homes. Open to those that we determine are safe to admit and closed, presumably, to those who might want to hurt us. What in the world is wrong with that? I want someone to tell me what we're doing wrong. But you see, there were people who then looked at this massive number of foreign workers and foreign students and tourists and said, oh, if we could let more in, we could make more money. If we could get more foreign workers to work in the United States, we could force Americans to compete with foreign workers. And if we could do that, guess what happens? We could drive down wages. How cool is that? We're going to make Americans work for less money. Is that a good thing, that we're going to make Americans work for less money? I, I don't think so. But yet, this is what we wound up with. People saying, oh, we could bring in foreign workers, and then suddenly, between the fact that these folks will work for lower wages because they're accustomed to working for lower wages, um, and, and the fact that labor is a commodity, and when you flood the marketplace with any commodity, you drive down the value of the commodity. If you're dealing with standard commodities, petroleum, gold, silver, that's called dumping, and it's illegal. It's an action that is taken with the intention of diminishing the value of a commodity. Letting workers into the United States diminishes the value of labor. What does that mean? It means people will earn less money. So that corporations and people who hire them, well, guess what? They will then be able to lower their costs because they'll be able to bring in foreign workers. And, and so what I want to start out with, and then I'm going to talk about my experience starting with the INS back in 1971, but just to back up my point, to underscore the point about flooding America with foreign workers, I'm not just talking about 
uh, illegal aliens who do the manual jobs and the bottom rung economic jobs. This applies to the high tech jobs also, which, by the way, undermines national security. That's how intellectual property, the United States, even military secrets, have been able to get out of the United States and flow into the countries that are our adversaries, countries like China. Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009, about comprehensive immigration reform. Can we do it and how? And I said, that reminds me of the apocryphal law firm, Dewey Cheatham and how, right? Let's have comprehensive reform. And Greenspan just brushed aside the former chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank. Brushed it off. We hire the undocumented. They lower wages, but only minimally, et cetera, et cetera. Sure thing. Go get them. But then he gets to the high-tech workers and what Bill Gates wants. Isn't that remarkable? And he made the point that Gates wants basically an unlimited number of high-tech workers to come to the United States because Americans can't fulfill the jobs, and we have a problem with education. We have a problem with creating incentives for American workers. When you keep on bringing in foreign workers and drive down wages, guess what? the job becomes that much less appealing to Americans um, who, who would otherwise take those jobs, right? So Alan Greenspan, in his prepared testimony for that hearing back in 2009, explained the wonders of flooding America with high-tech visas, or actually the aliens who have the high-tech visas. So here's the benefit. This is Greenspan, not me, okay? Don't kill the messenger. First, skilled workers and their families form new households. They will, of necessity, move into vacant housing units, the current glut of which is the pricing prices of American homes. Doesn't that sound like a Norman Rockwell painting, a vacant housing unit? Yeah, a home lost to foreclosure, folks. Remember what happened in 2008? That was the creation of Greenspan, although he denies it. There have been so many analyses done about the subprime mortgages that he engineered, right? So anyway, so he makes the point. They will of necessity move into vacant housing units, the current blood of which is the pricing prices of American homes. And of course, house price declines are a major factor in mortgage foreclosures and the plunge in value of the vast quantity of U.S. mortgage-backed securities that has contributed substantially to the disabling of our banking system. And again, I say that's baloney. It was his subprime mortgages. So you had people getting houses that they could not afford to live in and ultimately they defaulted, right? But then the second bonus to flooding America with foreign workers, high-tech, highly educated workers, people with graduate degrees, is, listen to this one. By the way, if you take blood pressure medicine, I advise you to take it now and avoid the rush later. This is Greenspan. The second bonus, again, to flooding America with a, with you know, huge numbers of high-tech foreign workers. The second bonus would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. Someone's making too much money, folks. That's what Greenspan is saying here. We've got to address the increasing concentration of income in this country. Well, guess who's getting rich? Well, let me continue to read what he said. Greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower wage premiums of the skilled over the lesser skilled. Skill shortages in America exist because we're shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Quotas have been substituted for the wage pricing mechanism, and in the process, we have created a privileged elite 
privileged elite whose incomes are being supported at non-competitively high levels by immigration quotas on skilled professionals. Eliminating such restrictions would reduce at least some of our income inequality. Is that not stupefying? Where in the world have you ever heard anybody refer to high-tech, middle-class American workers as the privileged elite? And the notion of making American workers compete with foreign workers is supposed to be prohibited by our immigration laws. So now what we're being told by the liars, we need to modernize our immigration laws. Why do they want to modernize them? Because modernizing them would then mean we would no longer shield any American worker from any foreign worker. So no one's job would be safe, and they could bring even more foreign workers in and intentionally fire Americans to hire people from the third world that will work for a fraction of the wage under conditions that would be unacceptable to the average American worker. That's what this is about. This is how you achieve wage equality, destroy the middle class, and then the working poor will have no one to be envious of. It's incredible. It's outrageous. It's infuriating. And the media didn't refer to this or cover it. Now, when I met with Bob Goodlatte, who at the time was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, this was, gosh, about 10 years ago, he really didn't want to talk about it. And then he finally told me how his son Bobby Goodlatte would love to have Thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian programmers come to America. Uh, my first wife died tragically of cancer decades ago. She was a brilliant programmer, MBA in computer science, member of the National Math Honor Society. Many of her colleagues, almost all were Americans, had comparable credentials, backgrounds, and experience. I said, why in the world would you want to hire people from India? What are the Americans, chopped liver? That was the end of our meeting, and I looked up Bobby Goodlatte, and he's now what they call an angel investor because he's made gazillions of dollars. How? By hiring, hiring an army of foreign workers, mostly from India, to displace Americans. We all know how Disney fired their programmers even after they gave them sterling evaluations and then expected them to train their replacements. And it wasn't just the Disney company. So many companies have done this. So when I hired on in 1971, that was before this madness took hold. And I was supposed to be an investigator. They asked me, where do you want to go? Do you want to be an investigator, special agent, or would you rather be an inspector at the port of entry? And I said, investigator. And they said, okay. And then they swore me in and handed me my inspector's badge. And it was the first of many times I asked myself, what the hell am I doing here? And I found myself in a booth at Kennedy International Airport. Immigration was an agency that always, always, always refused to take itself seriously. That's a big problem. And back then, when you were hired by the old INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service, you were sent to the Border Patrol Academy in Los Fresnos, Texas, where you received your training, training in law, training in tactics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I found myself at the Border Patrol Academy in Texas, and what was remarkable was when I sat in my booth at Kennedy Airport, we had some bosses who would actually sit behind you with a stopwatch. And they would say to you, Mr. Cutler, it took you more than a minute to decide on whether or not to admit that alien coming into your booth. You need to get it down to under a minute. Your last one was a minute and 23 seconds, whatever. They would, you know, actually time you. And they'd say, if this keeps up, we're going to have to report this on your evaluation. Now, this was nuts. 
And then if you send too many people to what was known as secondary, because secondary is where you could actually search somebody, go through their suitcase, maybe even strip search them, because people used to tape social security cards on, on their bodies, on, in their shoes, whatever, uh, or, or documents to prove that they were somebody other than who they claimed to be. You'd be amazed at what was coming in at the airport, besides the drugs and the contraband. But if you send too many people to secondary, you would overwhelm the system. And we had to keep the lines moving. And I had a boss say to me, Mr. Cutler, <clears throat> if you have any doubts, limit it to three weeks. I said, three weeks? All he wants is three minutes on the other side of the doors. He's wearing running shoes. So we realized, or I realized very quickly, that this was more of a public relations scam that it was a serious effort. And in fact, up until the Biden administration, it was estimated that nearly half of all illegal aliens in the United States did not run our borders, but came through international airports or other ports of entry and then disappeared. And we never had meaningful interior enforcement. To put that in perspective, back when I hired on, we had about 2,000 immigration agents for the entire United States. 2,000 for the entire United States. The New York City Police Department back then had over 40,000 members just to protect the city of New York. Were we serious about immigration? No, we weren't. No, we weren't. And my bosses would always say, well, the American people expect that we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, yeah, but we're not. This is almost a scam. And I had big arguments, and my bosses weren't happy with me. It was always a problem because we didn't want to take it seriously. Because too many people wanted people to come here and take those jobs that they shouldn't take. Even in the best of circumstances, immigration was always the stepchild of what was then the Justice Department. It's remarkable. Now, realize that immigration was moved to the Justice Department from the Labor Department by President Roosevelt at the start of World War II. Because suddenly everybody realized that immigration wasn't just about aliens coming to work but potentially about saboteurs coming to blow things up in the United States. This was national security. So it got moved to the Justice Department. After 9-11, immigration got moved to the Department of Homeland Security by George W. Bush. But then, and I've written about this, the way he created DHS violated the Homeland Security Act. They were never supposed to take immigration Customs and Border Protection and separated from ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They were never supposed to blend other law enforcement agencies in. It was supposed to be a standalone immigration enforcement program, the Bureau of, Immigra Bureau of Border Security. Bush intentionally, it's my belief, my contention, and there were members of Congress, mostly Republicans to their credit, by the way, who agreed with me. And I testified before a whole bunch of hearings, mostly at the invitation of the Republicans who were furious at what George W. Bush was doing. Think about the courage that that took. John Hostetler, Lamar Smith, um, Jim Sensenbrenner. Every time Bush would do or say something stupid, which was kind of like any day with a Y in it, my phone would ring and I'd say, now what did he do? Well, we just gave him enough money to hire 800 new special agents for ICE that enough money to hire 2,000 Border Patrol agents for each of this year and for each of the next four years, but he cut the 800 ICE agents to 143. He cut the 2,000 Border Patrol agents to 210. 
I said, wow, do you want me to come to testify? I will do it. And they said, absolutely. And Sheila Jackson Lee, for whom I testified at two hearings, went crazy and said, what is, she, what is he doing? Is he tempting us? We need to hire those agents. And she also complained bitterly that Bush did not purchase all the detention beds that Congress gave him the money to, help to buy. They gave him enough money for, if I remember the numbers correctly, 8,000 beds that year. And he cut 8,000 beds down to 1,700 and changed. And Sheila Jackson Lee said, this is endangering national security. Everybody got it. Everybody got it. And when I began working for the INS, we only enforced immigration laws. There was no ICE. And so it was that my focus as an immigration agent would be immigration law violations, period. Now, why is that important? Well, if I was looking for an illegal alien who had, let's say, a criminal history, and by the way, I worked with Senator Aldamato to create the aggravated felon reentry law. I did it as a civilian, not as an agent, did it unofficially. Because it used to be that we had a rough time getting aliens criminally prosecuted if they were deported and came back. And, you know, the open borders crowd, the globalists and the liars among them, oh, immigration laws, no, it's administrative law. It's a civil law. It's not a big deal. It's like jaywalking. No, it's not. That's a big, fat lie. There are two sets of immigration laws that you need to know about. First of all, there are administrative laws. And the administrative laws are designed to deal with the deportation of aliens who shouldn't be here. The administrative laws deal with who we let in, who we are supposed to deport, and that sort of thing. And so if you run the border, you're here illegally, we deport you, you come back, that's a criminal violation. Besides being deported from the United States, you also face up to two years in jail. But because it was such a small jail sentence, the prosecutors generally didn't want to be bothered. There were so many aliens who were deported and came back. And they, one day during a discussion that I had as a new agent, they said, well, we almost never prosecute these cases in a place like New York because we're overwhelmed. If we started to prosecute every alien who was deported and came back, we'd have to shut our doors within two weeks. And I thought, you know, we could create an incentive so that the prosecutors would be more willing prosecute and the criminal aliens would find greater deterrence so that perhaps they wouldn't come back once we deported them and what did i have in mind to make re-entry by aliens with serious criminal histories a different kind of a crime uh, we deemed those aliens to be aggravated felons and the penalty for them if they came back would be 20 years in jail we actually got the law changed walter connery who was the head of investigations in new york at the time Retired from the New York City Police Department. He was an attorney at the NYPD. He was a deputy inspector for internal affairs. He worked with the NAP Commission to root out corruption. He was in charge of internal affairs for immigration in Washington. Wound up at loggerheads with our bosses in D.C. who didn't like to be told what they could and couldn't do. And basically told Walter, okay, uh, if you want to stay with us, you're not staying in Washington. Go back to New York. You can run the investigations division at New York City. And that's what Walter did. I wound up working for him. The guy was tremendous. He became a mentor to me. And unbeknownst to him, I went to D'Amato and provided Al D'Amato's people with roughly 30 of my colleagues to verify what I was telling him. I didn't know that right after that, Walter on his own wrote a, a legislative initiative for the same purpose, to make reentry by criminal aliens a distinct crime with a 20-year jail sentence. 
during the Trump administration in point of fact, this was the most frequently prosecuted felony. And it's an easy case to pursue. You could put together a reentry case in a day or two. You have the executed warrant of deportation. You have the warm body. The guy is back in the United States, perhaps arrested for another heinous crime. In fact, I wound up testifying at the murder trial of an illegal, al- of an illegal alien who had lost his green card, Ronaldo Rayside, because he, he was from Panama, but he was convicted of multiple crimes involving weapons and drugs. And he was deported, came back. The NYPD was prohibited from letting us know that they have arrested him several times. This guy committed a felony by coming back. And eventually he's encountered by a 24-year-old police officer by the name of Robert Machati, member of the New York City Police Department. He goes for Officer Machati's gun on a street corner in Brooklyn. There's a struggle. Bullets fly. Officer Machati is killed. I testified at the murder trial. His wife was actually pregnant at the time of his murder. This is a serious crime, and we see this constantly. And it's not about vilifying immigrants, because we're not talking about immigrants. We're talking about illegal aliens, okay? The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien, for the record, is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. So let's be clear. But it was Jimmy Carter who started this Orwellian nonsense to no longer use the word alien. There is no insult in the term alien. It simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? The idea was to convince the American people that if you oppose the entry or presence of any alien for any reason, you are to be labeled anti-immigrant. And since America was built by immigrants, you're anti-American. It's astonishing. The Anti-Defamation League had a piece on their website. I had a big argument with their lawyers. They took it down. Then another one went up. I should probably go after them again. Then I'm a hater, professional hater, because I believe in enforcing immigration laws. Incredible. The 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, determined that in point of fact, 9-11 and similar terrorist attacks carried out by foreign nationals would not have been possible, not have been possible, without multiple failures of the immigration system. And not just running the border, but committing immigration fraud. Nobody talks about this. Okay? So if I went out to do an investigation and I interviewed somebody, the first thing that my boss is expected to see in my report, this investigator interviewed Charlie Smith in apartment 4F, a neighbor to the guy that we're looking for, he identified himself as an American citizen who was born in the Bronx on such and such date. Or he identified himself as being a resident alien of the United States, and he showed this investigator his alien registration card. They call it a green card, but they don't call it that anymore because they've got to get the word alien out, right? Alien is a deadly word. So they call it a perm, permanent resident card. It's an alien registration card. Why is it an alien registration card? Because in the 40s, the law required that aliens possess proof of alien registration. So the green card provides proof of alien registration. Simple. No bigotry here, folks. Just concerns about public safety, public health, national security, and jobs of Americans. How dare I? So it was expected that when I wrote that report, that would be the lead. I interviewed so-and-so. The guy claimed to be an American, or the guy was an American. He displayed his 
naturalization certificate. He showed me his passport, whatever. Because as an immigration agent, that's the first thing you're supposed to be concerned with. Is this guy an alien, and if so, is he here legally? Because if he's here illegally and I interviewed him, now I've got to explain why I didn't arrest him. Because that was my job, arrest illegal aliens. What a novel thought. There's got to be consequences when you violate the law. If you go 90 miles an hour in a school zone that's posted as a 20-mile limit, you're expected, if you're a police officer, to take action, right? As an immigration agent, if you encounter an illegal alien, you're expected to take action. What action did you take? That all went out the window. It all went out the window. We just had a case, and this is something that the Justice Department reported on, and this is so disturbing to me. Connecticut man admits to attempting to travel to the Middle East to join and fight for ISIS. This was published just two days ago, November 30th, by the Justice Department. It starts out saying, Ahmed Khalil El-Shazli, 25, of West Haven, Connecticut, pleaded guilty today in Bridgeport Federal Court to attempting to provide material support to the Islamic State of Iraq and Al-Sham, or ISIS, a designated foreign terrorist organization. An immigration agent who provided a deposition in support of the criminal complaint said that this guy was born on a particular date, he gave the guy's date of birth, and said he's an American citizen. Period. Well, wait a moment. How is it that he's an American citizen? Was he born in the United States, or did he naturalize? Now, this is not just a matter of academic interest. And I'm going to tell you why. The guy admits that he wants to help ISIS. And as you go through the materials, and I did, this guy boasted, and it was a recorded conversation, that he wanted to go to Syria and kill 100 infidels. He wanted to kill at least 100 because he's a fearless warrior. He wants to kill. He hates America, hates that he pays taxes in America because his money goes to kill Muslims, and America is his enemy. I mean, you have to wonder if we could strip him of his citizenship based on that alone. But if he was born in the United States, he's an American citizen. On the other hand, and this is very important, if he's a naturalized citizen, then perhaps, just perhaps, he lied on his application for citizenship, right? Good faith. Now, if that's the case, we might be able to strip him of his citizenship. Now, why is that important? Well, do you think it's a good idea to have somebody wandering around our country if and when he gets out of jail so that he can maybe carry out his fantasy and kill lots of Americans? This guy is a threat. You know, you have laws that say, well, we shouldn't give guns to people who pose a threat to public safety. Okay, fine. So here we have an individual who admits that his goal was to fight for a terrorist organization committed to destroying the United States. It's in America's best interests. It's in the interests of the American people that someone like this not be let out of jail to wander around the country. Would you agree? I think it's reasonable. But you've got an immigration agent who was happy to simply say, oh, this guy's an American. Did not say by virtue of having been born at such and such place or nothing. This is a problem 
because under this mentality promoted by this administration and prior administrations, including Obama and even George W. Bush, who really did wrong when he created DHS the way he did. So the emphasis on immigration went out the window. Who cares? It's only immigration. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. Really? So we have another case. This is an, another butte that you're just going to love. Let me just pull this up here. So th- this, is, this is incredible. November 29th, 2022, Justice Department press release, Alabama man indicted for violating U.S. sanctions against Iran. And this press release starts out by saying an indictment was unsealed today charging Ray Hunt, 69, of Madison County, Alabama, with federal offenses relating to an illegal scheme to export U.S. origin goods to Iran. The 15-count indictment charges the defendant with conspiracy to defraud the United States, sanctions violations, smuggling goods from the United States, and submitting false and misleading export information. Goes on and says, according to the indictment, since at least November 2017, the defendant conspired to export U.S. origin parts used in the oil and gas industry, including control valves and oil tubing, through his Alabama-based company, Vega Tools, to customers in Iran. The defendant transshipped the goods to Iran through Turkey and the United Arab Emirates to evade U.S. sanctions. And you say, okay. And I say to you, this is actually potentially an immigration story. And you might say, well, how is that an immigration story? This guy is an American living in Alabama. So they happen to provide a copy of the indictment, they meaning the Justice Department. It was a sealed indictment. It's been unsealed. And it starts out by saying this, United States of America versus Ray Hunt also known as Abdul Rahman Hantush, Rahman Hantush, Rahman Natush, defendant. Turns out he's a naturalized United States citizen. This is an immigration story, isn't it? Now, I don't know if he's guilty. This is only an indictment. There's a trial to follow, or perhaps he will enter into a plea arrangement. I have no idea. That's between him, his lawyer, the government. But he's being charged with a serious crime dealing with an enemy of the United States. The question, again, did he lie when he became a U.S. citizen? Because by becoming an American citizen, it makes it a lot easier for him to do the things that he did. It's important to know if he committed fraud and lied about involvement with Iran or other organizations when he applied for U.S. citizenship. We've seen this with terrorists. I'm not saying this guy's a terrorist, not at all. All I'm saying is that in the old days, as an immigration agent, I would have been expected to pursue that issue. And there's nothing here about it. Time and again, we will see not only the media, but the administration, Alabama man, New York man, Connecticut man, And then when you start digging around, you find out that the person actually came to the United States from another country and acquired a green card or U.S. citizenship. And so then the issue here is that why isn't that being pursued? I I was with the INS for 30 years. For roughly half of my time, I was first assigned as the first immigration representative to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration here in New York City. 
And then after that, did that job for four years, hated giving it up because I was in the catbird seat. I was aware of every major investigation being conducted by DEA, not only in New York, but around the world. I worked with a great bunch of people from other agencies, the FBI, DEA, ATF, um, the U.S. Marshal Service, um, city police, state police, even foreign governments, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, British Customs, uh, the Israeli National Police. We all worked cooperatively. And then I was promoted to senior special agent assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, where, again, I worked with a bunch of other people from a bunch of other agencies. And not only was I another warm body who helped on surveillance or helped to make an arrest or execute a search warrant, because that's what we all did. We all went out there as a team and operated as a team. I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF, and so forth. But I was also expected to use my unique authority as an immigration agent to help with the investigation into these groups. And most of the narcotic smuggling operations contain human smuggling or alien smuggling individuals and foreign nationals because the drugs come from outside the United States. So if we had somebody who, for argument's sake, committed immigration fraud or somebody who was deported and came back, or if you had an, an illegal alien and we caught him with a firearm that's 10 years in jail, they would add those charges to the indictment and sometimes it was in our best interest to arrest someone on an immigration charge to get him off the playing field without tipping our hand that he was actually part of a major drug trafficking organization or terrorist organization. So immigration gives you lots of leverage. No one seems to care anymore. It's an afterthought. Oh, he's a foreign national. Who cares? He came here. He's American. Move on. No, don't move on. Don't move on, especially if the guy is violent or the guy's a major drug dealer or he's a terrorist. Why wouldn't you want to seek his removal from the United States once he serves his prison sentence so that he doesn't go out and kill more people or sell more drugs or rape more children? There's a big problem with recidivism. Criminals who get arrested go to jail and come out and commit more crime. There is an antidote to alien criminals and recidivism. It's called deportation, removal from the United States. We also were able to use our authority as immigration agents to convince people to cooperate with us so they could stay in the United States if they did not pose a threat to us. Okay? Why not? If you're trying to dismantle organizations that are causing the deaths of tens of thousands of Americans every year, Use every tool you have. Al Capone went to jail for tax evasion, for gosh sakes. But we keep missing this opportunity because this administration has never met an alien it didn't like. Americans, not so much. But if you're an illegal alien, you're golden. And it's not just the Mexican border. I keep writing about that. So if you look at what we used to do, the New York City Police Department would frequently call us up. Well, they come down to see us. Why? Because in the old days, back in the 70s, back in the 80s, we had agents who worked with specific ethnic communities. I worked with the Jamaicans and the Israelis and several others. Other people worked with others. And so you might have had informants in a community. And the FBI is looking for a murderer, looking for a terrorist. And they'd come to us and say, does anyone have an informant in such and such community? We're looking for leads so we can take this guy into custody before he makes a, commits another crime, before he kills somebody else. And very often we had informants in those communities who did help us. 
so we could take dangerous people off the street. And by the way, the most likely victim of transnational criminals, and it's not just Latin America because human nature is human nature, the most likely victim were members of the ethnic immigrant communities because that's where they lived, that's where they operated, and they were threatening people. They would say to some guy who was, let's say, from Russia, hey, Ivan, if, if you don't play ball with us, we're going to find your mother, we're going to find your sister, and you're never going to see them again. So they forced people to become their couriers. They forced people to not talk to the police. There was a lot of coercion. I mean, think about it. These people came to America fleeing the violence and the corruption of their home country, and they wake up, and the guy they were running from is now living across the street from them here in Brooklyn. What a nightmare. So we were doing everybody a favor by getting these violent thugs off the street, making the streets safe, not even only for Americans, but for the lawful immigrants, the entire immigrant communities, whether it was Chinatown, whether it was Russian organized crime or the, or the Italian mob. It doesn't matter. Human nature is human nature, and every group has the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me be very clear about this. This isn't about a particular race. I got an award from the Japanese government for helping them with the drug smuggling investigation. I assure you, they're not Latinos, okay? I work closely with the Israeli National Police. I arrested a guy wanted for murder back in England, helping New Scotland Yard. This is a global problem. And now this administration has done everything in its power to undermine immigration law enforcement, and the result is carnage. The result is that people are fearful with justification because we're no longer protecting them from those people who've come to America with less than honorable intentions. Plus the fact that Americans have lost jobs, Americans are suffering wage suppression, hospitals are being overwhelmed, schools are being overwhelmed. All of that's out the window. But when I think back to the way it used to be when I hired on as an agent, immigration was a, was a big factor because we were in the position to help other law enforcement agencies. I'll give you another example. Many times we would go out with the cops from the public moral squad to raise, raid houses of prostitution. Many times the women that worked in those houses were here illegally. They were coerced into it or not. And they wanted to shut down the houses of prostitution. There was crime. There was rape. There was the spread of disease. Nothing good coming out of a house of prostitution, okay? So we would go out with the cops. And if illegal aliens were showing up as customers, the men, we would arrest them as illegal aliens. And why did we do that? Because the word on the street quickly spread. If you're here illegally and you go to a house of prostitution and immigration is there, you could wind up getting deported. And it wasn't unusual to see men, young men, at these houses because their girlfriends, their wives, whatever, were home, back in their home country, and they were here for the last two years. Come the weekend, as I jokingly called it, they had the urge to merge. There they were, there I was and we would send them back to their home country. Lots of houses of prostitution shut down. Why? Because the clientele no longer thought it was worth the risk of getting apprehended by immigration agents who might be on those investigations along with the New York City cops. We did the same thing with the gambling houses in Chinatown and Little Italy. These were criminal-controlled gambling joints. 
we would arrest the people who went to gamble. What was the word on the street? Don't go there. Immigration might show up. So a lot of these houses of gambling, where a lot of criminal activity, loan sharking, extortion, and so forth was happening, it stopped. Why? Nobody wanted to take the risk of going there, knowing that immigration agents might show up and they could face deportation when we were serious about the job. Why in the world wouldn't you want to do that? You look at what the 9-11 Commission had to say about immigration law enforcement, it, it made perfect sense. No one other than an American has an inherent right to be present in the United States. Just as if we go to another country, we don't have a, a right to demand that we be admitted. They have the discretion to decide whether or not to admit us. And we have to adhere to their laws and their standards when we go there. What's the old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? But over time, the globalists from both parties have convinced the American people that somehow immigration law enforcement is an act of racism and xenophobia. Protecting national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans is an example of xenophobia? Are we that stupid? It's outrageous. It was accepted that if you came here and violated the laws, there were consequences. No longer. If I walked into a factory and found somebody working in a factory who came in with a visa as a tourist or came in on a student visa but did not have permission to work, even if their time hadn't expired, we would handcuff them, we would put them in detention, and they'd see a judge the next morning, and most likely by the end of the week or sooner, that alien was on an airplane home because that alien violated his or her terms of admission into the United States. Well, that alien entered the United States by evading the inspections process. What's wrong with that? Look at how perceptions have been altered by crooked politicians, by the globalists, by the special interest groups. The immigration system today, folks, is a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And again, not just the illegals, but even the high-tech workers. As a consequence, American technology has been smuggled out of the United States to China, to Russia, to Iran, around the world. So much for nuclear nonproliferation. Really? Iran right now is racing towards a bomb. And they have the rockets that can deliver them to our soil, and they keep calling for our death, along with North Korea. Okay? How did that happen? Because we're educating foreign students in our schools. And by the way, if you go back to a hearing held in 1998 by the Senate Judiciary Committee, Dianne Feinstein questioned the wisdom of providing an education in the sciences to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism. It was a little easier back then before they started to spread out around the world. But she was right. And she cited example after example of terrorists from the Middle East who were trained in America, trained in England, they were nuclear physicists and chemists, and they put together bombs, and they killed people. Brained by our schools or the schools of our allies. And now, if God forbid you suggest that we enforce our immigration laws, you're branded a xenophobe, and you have an administration that sits there and lies to Congress without consequences, Mayorkas saying, oh, the border is under control. Really? 
think of the impact. I, I mentioned this when I was on a radio show earlier this week. I know I've mentioned it here. We have a water shortage, a severe drought. Every person here needs 100 gallons of water per day. Biden claims he let in 3 million. That's what's, or at least that's what's been claimed in the media. I don't think he's claiming anything. Well, the 3 million people require 300 million gallons of water each and every day, and we're in the middle of a drought. The same thing can be said of food and clothing. It impacts inflation. It costs 20 to 40% more to educate children who can't speak, read, or write English. And we have Chuck Schumer saying, let's have a massive amnesty for everybody who's here. With a broken system that would have no ability to interview anybody, certainly not conduct any field investigations, and we know that the 9-11 hijackers and the aggregate, 19 hijackers rather, in the aggregate, used more than 300 false identities in order to conceal their movements around the United States as they went about their deadly preparations. Why is nobody calling them out for this? I wish Donald Trump had done a better job articulating these issues. When he debated Joe Biden, instead of asking Joe whether he could spell law enforcement, he should have asked Joe if you read the 9-11 Commission reports. Because everything this administration is doing flies in the face of the recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. But all the Republicans keep talking about is hiring more Border Patrol agents. We need ICE agents to do interior enforcement, to go after crooked employers and crooked lawyers to uncover fraud. When bin Laden's compound was raided by our special forces, they found a number of documents in his library worth thinking about. They found a copy of the 9-11 Commission report. They found a copy of an application for U.S. citizenship. If you look at the materials that could be found in conjunction with the arrest of terrorists in the United States, they are always told by their handlers overseas to acquire U.S. citizenship and a U.S. passport. When I look at this guy, Ray Hunt, who was born in Iran, and now they say, well, this guy's an American, a man from Alabama. Maybe he's been a citizen for decades, or maybe he just became a citizen so he could do those things for Iran that he's alleged to have done. Shouldn't we be concerned about that possibility? The problem that we have is that our politicians no longer give a damn about what's in the best interest of America or Americans, only about how they can raise more money and acquire more power and influence. Every politician on every level should be asked the question and be made to answer the question, how are your policies? How are your legislative initiatives in the best interests of the average American? Please don't tell me what the immigrants so-called want. Let's consider what's in the best interests of the American people. We the people, a country that's supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people, the American people. I thank you so much for listening. I hope that you find this program helpful. If so, please share the link to my podcast and the link to my articles at Front Page Magazine with as many of your friends as possible. You can send them the link to my website, michaelcutler.net. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. As you get together with friends and families this holiday season, let's have those conversations with our neighbors so we can all work together to keep the politicians who are supposed to represent us accountable. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Right here on the Michael Cutler Hour.